You heard the scripture from Nehemiah, first Corinthians, of course, Luke. As I, uh, as I was reading Nehemiah, I was thinking about perhaps a building that's been exploded and all the walls coming down and they move all the debris from the building that was imploded and they rebuild again. Well, in Nehemiah, as you know the story, the uh, Israelites had came out of captivity from uh, Babylonia. They had uh, made them captives. They had destroyed Jerusalem. They had destroyed the walls and the church and everything like that. So Nehemiah was uh, was uh, what you call a cup barrier to the king. He was there to pour the king's wine and things like that. But Nehemiah also petitioned the king to go back and rebuild the, the walls in Jerusalem. And it was a hard task for him because he had a lot of opposition, just like sometimes when we try to do the will of God and try to do the right thing, there are a bunch of opposition of naysayers and people that saying that, you know, it would not work. But Nehemiah kept the faith to know that he had a mission to, uh, to do. While he was going back to Jerusalem, the opposition came from the Amorites, came from the uh, Arabs, and most importantly, came from the Philistines. But when the, when the temple got built and the gates got built, he, he built it within 52 days of his uh, mission. So after all that was built, they went and are called a priest called Ezra. Ezra was what you call a scribe. If you don't know what the word scribe means, it means to interpret the law or a transcript that was written. And so he was interpreting, excuse me, the law of Moses that he had presented uh, years ago from the uh, Israelites who was, first of all, I was rescued from slavery in um, Egypt. So they came this far, but yet still they were disobedient. And then, it, you know, they went into captivity. But as they came out of captivity, uh, he was in the square reading the word from the book of Moses or the law of Moses. And here's the thing what I like about that. He was saying that um, do not weep, do not mourn, because you are now free again. You know, we're still in slavery in some sort. We haven't totally been freed yet. But as they, he was telling the Israelites, go, enjoy the fat of the, of the land, drink the sweetest wine from the grapes, and rejoice. But he also reminded them that those, those who do not have, go and, you know, give them what you have so they can rejoice as well. And during that time they did, the part that I like about it, it says the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of our Lord and Savior is our strength. So, you know, when you think about that, we think about the joy. That means the happiness of the Lord because he had brought them out of bondage from their, from their being captive in uh, Babylonia. Um, he brought them to a place where they needed to be, but yet he wanted them not to forget where they came from. He wanted them also to remember you know, what God had did for them in the book of, uh, in the law of the book of Moses, because the book of Moses had specific things for them to live by. The book of law of Moses had a blueprint for the children of Israel to live by. 
and they had to live by that in order to, for God to continue to bless them. And as you know, you know, they was always getting in and out of predicaments because one, one way they would be obedient and the next way they would serve other gods or paganism and things like that. So they would always get punished until they come out and cry out to God. And one thing about crying out to God, if you cry out to him long enough, whether you're sick, whether you need help in any other areas of your life, you keep crying out to him. He will answer, but at the same time, we must do some things for him too. We must give up our ways in order to hear from God. We always say, Lord, it's, it's within your will. But then when we become Christians, that means that we surrender our all unto God. And, and that's what we must do at times when we get in trouble and at times when things are not going our way. When the walls in our houses and in our homes are crumbling down, just think about the children of Israel, how they was in captivity for years and years and years, serving this king and his people until God came back in the form of, you know, to Nehemiah and to Ezra. They came back to Jerusalem, their homeland that was destroyed and looted. They came back there and started rebuilding. And as they rebuilt, they rebuilt another beautiful city. Can you imagine that? You go back to a place where there's nothing but ruins, and you look at it and say, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to make this thing work? How am I going to rebuild to what I destroyed, that was destroyed? How can I make it whole again? Well, the only way you can make it whole again is by trusting in God and doing what God says. Because if you do what God says, everything will be okay. He will not leave us and not forsake us. He will always be with us. Even in the book of Corinthians, when you read about it, the members, the members, there are many members, but yet one body. And the body is the body of Christ, the spirit of the Lord. And if we're in the spirit of Christ, that means that we are baptized with him and through him. So, yes, you may have an eye, an ear, a nose, a hand, and legs, and they may say, well, I'm more important than you because I can see. The legs may say, I'm more important than you because I can walk. And the ears may say, I'm more important than all of you guys because I can hear. But that's not what God was talking about. It says, though there are many members, but yet one body. And he was talking about us being in the body of Christ. He was talking about us that we're learning and growing in the body of Christ. Because if you're in the body of Christ, you're in one spirit, one mind, one soul. And therefore, you're on one accord. But sometimes the body may say, you're less inferior than I am. So therefore, I have no need for you. But that's not the case. If one of us fall, all of us fall, because we are the body of Christ. And therefore, if we are the body of Christ, we should always elevate and lift each other up and do the word of God in one spirit, one mind, one body, and one soul. And therefore, we'll be on one accord and everything will click like on all cylinders, like when you drive your automobile and nothing wrong with it. You got smooth sailing up and down the highway because everything is on, it's clicking on one accord. So therefore, if we all want a card with the word of God, we can be a great body to him. We can come to him and say, Lord, we would do your will, even if we had to put away some things, but we follow in that path as Christians to do the will of God. And yes, God is not going to do what he say. He will not, uh, he will not leave us in a situation 
that we, we cannot come out of. See, the joy of the Lord and God is our strength. So we got to take joy and pleasure knowing that God, our Father, is with us. And yes, as, just as the Bible says, we are many members, but yet one body. Some of us can become apostles, teachers, evangelists, healers, um, uh, speaking tongues. Some of us can do that because God gave them that gift. And whatever your gift is, whatever God gave us to use, use your gift, run your race, stay in your lane, and do what God has ordained you to do. If you're ordained for you to be a teacher, be a good teacher, a great teacher. If you um, ordained you to be an apostle, be the best that you can be. If he give you the gift of healing, pray for that person that is going through some trials and tribulations. Pray for that person who is sick. Pray for that person who is homeless, who's down and out, don't have nothing to eat. Pray for that person. Because if you pray for that person, God will elevate you as well as him. You see, that's what God wants us to do. He give us gifts. He give us uh, things that we can do. My gift and your gift may be different. But like I said, run your race and stay in your lane and use your gift to go out and spread the word of God to all this that are dying, this whole nation, this whole world. We need Christ in our lives. As we look at the headlines and we go turn on the TV and uh, just the other day, they reopened our government, you know, things like that. But we need to pray for those that are in power. Pray for those that are making these decisions that God will abuse, uh, get into their hearts and make them do the right thing. We say, we can't do nothing without God. And if we continue on this path, we got to always remind ourselves, we got to stand steadfast in the word of God and hold up that bloodstained banner. We got to remind ourselves that we can do all things through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, we cannot give up. We cannot give up this race because this race is for us to finish until God calls us home. But as long as we're here on earth, we all got a mission to do. We are all the body. And let the body come together. Let us be uh, Christ-like and Christ-minded. Because if we're Christ-like and Christ-minded, we have no need for any dissension. There would be no division. You know, we will all come together. We'll all come together for one purpose. It's not for the pastor, not for the friends, but it's for God. God is the only reason why we are here. He's the one that woke us up this morning. He's the one that started us in our way. And he's the one that's continued to do things that we cannot see in our lives. Even in the book of um, Luke, I like that book of Luke because when you think about Jesus, he had just came out the wilderness he was for 40 days, and during that time in the wilderness, he was tempted uh, by Satan. Every step he made, Satan was there, you know. And even today in our lives, we are tempted. We cannot say, oh, I'm not tempted. Yes, we are. We are tempted every day to do something that we know we shouldn't do. But just like Jesus was tempted, he had to hold the spirit in him. And he had the, the spirit to fight against those temptations. And... Um, after he came out the wilderness, obviously, he went back to Galilee, and he went back into the synagogues and started preaching and teaching the word of God because the spirit of the Lord was upon him. And as he taught in the synagogues, those that heard him was pleased with the hearing of what he has to say because Jesus was anointed. He was God's son. He came down for a mission. He came down to fulfill 
God's mission. He came down to preach the word of God and heal those that were sick, restoring sight to the blind, making the lame man walk. All those things that we read about in the book, that's what Jesus' mission was. He was obedient. He was an obedient servant. He was no better than you and I. He came back in the form of flesh to be an example of us. And then again, just like anybody else that traveled far away, they go back home. And that's what he did. He went back to Nazareth, where he was born, where he was raised up at. He, as customary, went into the synagogue. He started, you know, doing what he had to do in the synagogue, preaching and teaching the word of God. Even some of those from Nazareth was not pleased with what he was saying, but he was on a mission. When they gave him the scroll, you know what the word said? It said, the spirit of God is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel, to set the captives free, to restore sight to the blind, to uh, free those that are uh, slavery, and to proclaim God's word. That's what he read in the scroll that was given to him by Isaiah, the prophet who predicted this years and years ago before his birth. Isaiah had a vision. He had a prophecy that Jesus would be the one that would come and set us all free. Even when he said, uh, uh, unto this day a king, a child was born, and the government should be upon his shoulders. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, and things like that. With that, what he predicted, and then when he predicted that again in the scrolls, he wrote what he saw or predicted, and then he closed the scrolls up. And when the scroll was given to Jesus, he got up and read what Isaiah had said. And then when he said that, he said, now, it is finished. The scriptures have been fulfilled. In other words, the scriptures had already knew that Jesus was the one that Isaiah was talking about. So now that uh, uh, um, they knew who Jesus was, some of the people said, aren't that um, Joseph's son, the carpenter? They didn't didn't appreciate what was being read. But to see, Jesus was first of all human. He was first, and second of all, he was, I'm sorry, he was divine. And second, he was human. Because he was already in heaven. He was already God anyway. So when he came down in the form of human, he suffered just like we're suffering today. The only difference between our suffering and Jesus' suffering, Jesus suffered even more so than we ever did. No one in this uh, building has ever said, I saw someone hanging on a cross with his arms stretched wide in his feet and people nailed his hands, pierced his side and things like that. We haven't suffered like Jesus and we haven't suffered long enough because if we suffer long enough, we would know what Jesus went through. We would know that Jesus paid the price for us to be here today, to be in this fabulous building. He paid the price for us to come in and worship him. He paid that price so that we may have a right to the kingdom of heaven. You see, when he paid the price, like he said, it was finished. When he died upon the cross, he said it was finished. He took away all the sins of the world, but yet he still wanted us to be obedient. He wanted us to walk in his, the way he walked, to become holy, to become Christ-like, to become that vessel that he can use. Because when it all said and done, in the end, if God forbid he take us home or any one of us home, we, were, we want to hear those words that they say, he said, 
Well done, my good and faithful servant. You may enter into the kingdom of heaven. We don't want to hear the words that he, would, he do not know us and, and that he would send us back somewhere else. We want to all be where, he, where he's at. We all want to be where our families before us, where they're at. We want to be in that glorious land, you know, that you said every day would be Sunday. You have singing and praising God all day long. And we would say in the song, praise, praise, holy, holy. We want to be there. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I have some situations in my life that I cannot handle, I get somewhere and read the Word of God. And when I read the Word of God, He gives me a right perspective. He gives me what He wants me to have so I can be a better person, a better man, a better husband, a better father. Anything that God gives me is because I ask for it. So, like, you know, you and I can always have a little disagreement on things. When I say this, I'm paraphrasing. I'm not talking about anyone in the church, but I'm saying we always have a disagreement, but we should always bring our agreements before the elders in the church so that we can resolve them in a Christian way, not in a hostile way, not in a way that we're bitter towards that person or persons, because that's not what Christ would do. They always had this bracelet, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And that was a real popular back in the 80s or something like that. Everybody had bumper stickers and, you know, things like that. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? You know, just think about that question. What would he do? You know, he didn't die in vain. He's still raising up soldiers. He's still raising up Christians. He's still raising up prayer warriors, apostles and teachers. He He is still raising them up. Because I say for everything that is bad, that's something good. You know, a good can always win over evil. Right can always win over wrong. So remember things like this. When things are rough in your life and you don't know where to turn, turn to the Word of God. And then you're praying fast and let God lead you and guide you where you need to be. Because I'm going to tell you something, church. Without Christ in our lives, we're nothing. You know, we're nothing. That's what I was saying about the dissension and the division. He did not want that. He wants us to come together on one accord and be in one mind, one spirit, and one body. When he said the body and not these members here, he was using this as an example. But he's talking about the Christians coming together as one, touching and agreeing. Just like when he was ministering, he was talking about the people in the synagogue. He was really preaching to the Jews and all those high echelons that thought they was better than everybody. Because Jesus' fame already had went around when he was healing and teaching. He was already famous, you know. He was famous for doing the things that, the miracles that he was performing. He was already uh, famous. His word had spread it like wildfire. So they knew who he was, but they just didn't want to accept the fact that he was the king of kings, lord of lords. They didn't want to accept that because they, they wanted to do it that way. They believed, you know, in the book of Moses. Even then, they had opposition. The Pharisees and the scribes and all that, they were still talking about the law of Moses. But Jesus said, you know, you already said this. I did not come here to change the law, but I came to do you, do him that we might be saved. So he wasn't going to take anything away from it because if that's what they wanted to believe in, that was their preference. But he wanted us to believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what he was talking about. And like I said, even in his hometown, you had people that was 
really upset with him. So I guess it's saying that you say you can't go home again, but he still went back to do what he had to do. And then he began to, you know, do other things and go into other places, obviously, but he went back home. And sometimes the world would not, would not receive us. When we, as Christians, the world wanted us to be like them. But God said, be in the world, but not of the world. So continue your prayers. Continue to minister. If possible, tell someone about the goodness of the Lord and what he's done for you. See, I can't tell your story, and you can't tell my story, but I do know that God has been good to all of us. I do know that because I look around here and I see the people that are here. We always say somebody did not get up this morning. So when you woke up this morning, you should have thanked God for getting you out of bed and starting you on your way to the house of worship. I'm grateful. You know, I will always be grateful because God is in my life. You know, I have struggles, but yet, in this world, we will have tribulations. But he said, be a good because he overcome the world. So even with our trials and tribulations that we're going through, we always know there's a mediator for us. And he's our Lord and Savior, who sits on the right hand of the Father. And if you know, pray to him in earnest and in truth, he will answer your prayer. Sometimes he may not answer right away, but in due time, if it's in his will, he will answer. So all I'm saying to you today is continue to trust in God, continue to be the body that God wants us to be, and continue to, you know, like I said in Nehemiah about the walls, you know, when he rebuilt Jerusalem, but we got walls within us that's crumbling down. So we need to build them back up and go forward and continue to march for the Lord our Savior Jesus Christ. Because I tell you something, God is good. He's a good God. He's a merciful God. He's a forgiving God. So, you know, if you, you know, sin, pray to God and confess. He will forgive you of your sin. It's like the woman that they wanted to stone. And when he said, he without sin, let him cast the first stone. And little by little, they went away. And he turned and told the woman, go and sin no more. That's the God I want to serve. That's the God I want to uh, be around knowing that he will wipe away my sins. And he will forgive me for the sins that I commit each and every day because we are sinners. And we all have fallen short. So we need to always have something to repent for and atone for. And I tell you, church, you know, I don't know about you, but I want to be on that same track going forward up that ladder. Each day we should go higher and higher and higher. So I pray that God continue to be with you. I pray that God heal those that need healing. But I also pray that God continue to shine brightly in all our lives. It's not a selfish prayer. We need to pray for one another. We need to uplift one another. We need to praise one another in Christ and brotherly love because that's what Christ did. That's what he taught us. That was one of his commandments. First of all, love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Who is my neighbor? Not the one that lives on my street, but we got neighbors all over the world that we should love. We got neighbors out there on the streets right here that we should love. So we should remember that love is the key. For God so loved the world that he gave us only a begotten son. Whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now that's love. And then they also say, for our close, what greater love than a man 
will lay down his life for a friend. So we are all friends of Jesus because he laid down his life for us. And that was love. Do we have love? If not, ask God to put the love in our hearts that we need. Ask God to come into your life and change some things that is not right. It may not happen today or tomorrow, but if you pray that prayer, God hears it. He knows it. And he will come in and do some wonderful things 